Welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast of Hill Country Bible Church, Georgetown. The podcast bringing you biblical messages that encourage you to put Christ at the center of everyday life. We're here to help you engage in the local church and to invite you into a life that matters through Jesus. If you have any questions about your next step, visit us online at hillcountry.life. And now for today's message. Well, good morning, everybody. This is a black and white, two-dimensional picture from the Oasis restaurant on beautiful Lake Travis in Austin, Texas. It's actually a limited experience of the beauty of this place. I mean, it's much better in color and in three dimensions. When you see it live, when you're standing there, it's gorgeous. There are mansions and hills and trees and lakes surrounding you. But you know, that three-dimensional experience is actually a limited experience of a fourth dimension, time. I've actually had some great memories at different times in this place. Over the years, Wendy and I and our boys have invited friends and family members to come out and enjoy the scenery and the ambiance of this restaurant on the lake. I mean, you can enjoy dinner, music, dancing, laughter together. It's an incredible experience there. Now, stop and think about it. This flat, two-dimensional black and white picture is really just a representation of a much bigger fourth-dimensional experience of life. And, and imagine this, what if all of our experience in four dimensions of life, right, all the wonder, all the love, all the beauty, is really just a flat black and white representation of a fifth, sixth, or seventh dimensional life to come, a place called heaven. You know, it's actually what the Bible's been teaching us all along. And I believe understanding that really changes how we live and love and serve today. So we're in the midst of this series called What's After Life? And it's all about the medical and scientific evidence surrounding those who have had near-death experiences where they were pronounced clinically dead, but then resuscitated and brought back to life. And these people are coming back and reporting their experiences that they weren't just out of it, they were alive in another dimension. And what they saw and heard is strikingly similar to what's recorded in the Bible. And what I'm hoping for as we go through this series is that you'll keep an open mind. If you're not a believer in God or Jesus or heaven, I think it'll at least challenge your thinking. And if you are a Christian, I think it'll help to bring heaven down to earth, give you some extra motivation for your daily life. And I personally believe that God is giving us these testimonies as a gift because people need hope now more than ever. And they don't just need the hope of heaven. They need hope of a bigger perspective of what's happening in their lives right now, because I think that helps us to understand this life. And that's what I think you'll gain if you'll stick with us throughout this series. God wants us to know that he has prepared a place for us and it's more beautiful than you can ever imagine. But it's going to be experienced in new dimensions of time, new dimensions of space. Now, many churches in our area are preaching through this same series right now, and we are leaning on the research of John Burke. He's the author of the New York Times bestseller, Imagine Heaven. And John has studied this topic in depth for 30 years. He's interacted with some of the leading experts in the field of near-death experiences, or NDEs. Additionally, John has interviewed doctors, professors, bank presidents, people who are very credible, who have nothing to gain by trying to make up wild stories. 
And yet when they clinically died and were resuscitated, I want you to listen to what they said about the life to come. Things were more beautiful than I could ever imagine. It was past anything that I would believe that it would be like. The colors were so alive that the most beautiful day on earth is just a reflection of those colors. The greens were greener, the yellows, the golds, the blues, everything reminded me that earth is a reflection of heaven, but heaven is perfection. So one of the commonalities of near-death experiences is they experience beauty in new dimensions of time and space. Flowers, trees, mountains, forests, in colors more vibrant than we can imagine. And they are not limited in their experience of beauty like we are here. About 52% of people having a near-death experience describe beauty in this heavenly realm that is beyond anything on earth, things that are absolutely spectacular. It seemed like everything there was glad I was there. The trees were glad I was there. The flowers were glad I was there. The water was glad I was there. Everything was alive. There was nothing dead, and everything was intelligent. Everything was far more intense. The colors, the aromas, the flowers were such that I felt that I could not only see them, but I understood them. Gorgeous, beautiful, all of the adjectives, but it's beyond words. You know, as part of John's research over the last 30 years, not only has he studied over a thousand of these near-death experiences where people clinically die and come back, but he has also compared what they said to the religious writings of various world religions and what they anticipate about the afterlife. And in his study of over a thousand NDEs, these people have made about 40 common descriptions of the life to come. Well, he took those common descriptions from MDEers and compared them first to the Buddhist Tibetan Book of the Dead, and he found five vague correlations there. He then looked at the Islamic scriptures, the Quran, and he found four correlations there. He then went to the Hindu Vedas, and again, there were five vague commonalities in those writings. And Burke continued on, found several other world religious writings that had a few indirect correlations. The Zoroastrian Avesta, for example, actually had five out of the 40 that correlated. But, and this is significant, with all of those other religious writings, Burke found just as many or more discrepancies. However, when he took a look at the Jewish scriptures and the Christian scriptures, the Jewish Old Testament prophets and the New Testament, what it says about Jesus, John found a full 38 out of the 40 descriptions correlating precisely. And that's what I want to share with you over the course of this series. Because I don't think God has just started to reveal himself today with modern medicine, bringing people back from the dead. He's been telling us these truths all along. And I think the Bible actually gives us context to interpret these near-death experiences and understand what they mean. So for instance, talking about beauty, John, one of Jesus' disciples, says he had an experience, a vision of heaven. And he writes about its beauty in the book of Revelation. Beauty not unlike earth. Take a look. He says, after this, I looked. And people from every nation, tribe, people, and language were wearing robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. So there are palm trees in heaven, evidently. It says, 
He will lead them to springs of life-giving water. There are springs, there are rivers. He took me in the spirit to a great high mountain and he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem. It's shown with the glory of God. So there are high mountains, there are cities. Then the angel showed me a river with the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. It flowed down the center of the main street. There are streets there. On each side of the river grew a tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit. There are trees, there's fruit, it's life. But as Jesus said, it's abundant life. It's life experienced in dimensions far beyond what we've ever experienced before. Now, when I used to read these things in the Bible, honestly, some of them sounded kind of cheesy and gaudy to me. You know, streets of gold, pearly gates. I kind of would picture a bad 80s televangelist TV set. But actually, the more and more I studied these near-death experiences and heard all these people describe the same things, I started to realize these are otherworldly building materials. Gold that is transparent. How cool would that look? or blocks of stone that walls are made out of, but they're made of love and light, which makes no sense, at least not to us living here on earth. Or this pearlescent material that is moving and alive. It's kind of like if we were trying to describe our four-dimensional experience of color in flat black and white terms. It's impossible to do that. Now, I know some people will still be skeptical. I mean, even after hearing doctors, nurses, professors talking about this invisible place called heaven, and I get that. But here's something that I find interesting. Ironically, many times the idea of heaven is rebuffed in the name of science. And yet, if you really look at what science is telling us these days, the parallels are remarkable. For instance, the Kaluza-Klein theory, a unified field theory, postulates that there has to be a fifth dimension for science to work as we understand it now. Brian Greene in his book, The Elegant Universe, talks about how quantum mechanics works perfectly and general relativity works perfectly, but they don't work together unless there are six or seven hidden dimensions to space. So if science is telling us that there are probably hidden dimensions, why is it so hard to think about heaven? this place beyond our dimensional understanding. Okay, so you may be asking, where's the proof though? Well, interestingly, when these people die, they say they leave their bodies, but they still have a body, a spiritual body, and it's real. And then they often travel to this place of great beauty. But before they do, many times they say they are right there in the room up above, usually up by the ceiling watching their resuscitation. And they're able to make observations that can be verified later. Do you know that 900 scholarly articles by once skeptical doctors or professors have been written on these experiences? And they appear in journals like Psychiatry or The Lancet, European journal of the most prestigious medical journal they have in Europe, really. And in one of those articles, Dr. Jeff Long wrote about a woman in London who died giving birth. And she claimed that she left her body, was on top of the ceiling watching the resuscitation. And while she was hovering there, she noticed a red sticker on the top side of the ceiling fan, the ceiling side. And then she traveled to this place of great beauty where God told her, your son is going to live. She didn't even know it was a boy. But God said, and you must go back and take care of him. And when she comes back after being resuscitated, she tries to tell the doctors and nurses of this incredible place she went that was more real than anything she ever experienced, but they didn't believe her. 
They said, oh, it's just the drugs, it's hallucination. But she kept on badgering this one nurse until she convinced the nurse to verify what she saw. So this nurse asked an orderly to get a ladder and she said, go up and look on the top side of the fan, the ceiling fan, and see if there's a red sticker up there. Sure enough, there was. Now, many observations like this have been made. And you may say, well, yeah, but how do we know they aren't just urban myths? Well, Dr. Michael Sabum, a cardiologist who was once a very skeptical doctor, actually set out to prove that these were myths. And after five years of research, because of what people reported about resuscitation, he changed his mind. He wrote a major article in the Journal of the American Medical Association. And after that, Dr. Janice Holden, a university professor, did her own study of near-death experiences, making verifiable observations. She studied 93 patients who had clinically died and claimed they were in the room, out of their bodies, noticing things in their surroundings. And what she found is that 93% of the observations were completely accurate. 6% had slight discrepancies and only one of the 93 patients she interviewed was really inaccurate. Radiation oncologist Dr. Jeff Long was a skeptic when he actually read Michael Sabum's journal article. And he started studying it for himself and has now done the largest scientific study on NDEs in 31 languages around the world. Listen to what he says to skeptics. Some skeptics think it's impossible to study something that isn't a physical phenomenon that you can visibly see and measure. However, I can assure people with those concerns that science broadly embraces subjective phenomena, and that's the entire fields, for example, of psychiatry, uh, etc., subjective, uh, qualitative, if you will, research. So it's very well established scientifically, very well validated, and very well accepted. A basic scientific principle is that what is real is consistently observed, and the overwhelming consistently see if what's observed in near-death experiences strongly bespeaks their reality. The way I study near-death experiences, again with the best scientific methodology that, that seems to be published, is through a very, very detailed survey. There's over a hundred questions that I ask. So in my over 4,000 near-death experiences I've studied, I'm not only getting a large number of near-death experiences, but we can look at them in a depth that was never possible before. Some people have wondered if near-death experiences are due to drugs or anesthetic agents. And having studied over 4,000 near-death experiences, the great majority of these people that had them were not taking any psychotropic, that is, brain-acting medication at the time of the experience. So there's no chance that drugs could account for what's observed in near-death experiences. Some skeptics have proposed that near-death experiences are due to hypoxia, which is low blood oxygen levels. Well, that's a reasonable hypothesis because after all, at the time of a life-threatening event, typically you are gonna have reduced oxygen levels in the blood as a result of the trauma or injury that led to that close brush with death. In any other altered type of human consciousness, dreams, hallucinations, uh, psychotic events, you typically have confused sensorium. Experiences may skip around in dreams that are very common. You really have that hypo or decreased lucidity, and that's completely different in near-death experiences, which are hyper or increased lucid, tends to be very logically and ordered. I can't find a single skeptical explanation of near-death experience that any reasonable, well-informed person would accept as explaining near-death experience. 
One of the strongest lines of evidence for the reality of near-death experience is they shouldn't happen at all. At the time of a cardiac arrest, when your heart stops, well, of course, immediately, blood stops flowing to the brain. 10 to 20 seconds after that event, the EEG, electroencephalogram, which is a measure of brain electrical activity, goes absolutely flat. It should be impossible to have a lucid organized experience at that time, and yet by the hundreds, people have reported near-death experiences immediately following a cardiac arrest, and that is medically inexplicable. So science is validating what the Bible's been teaching us all along. There is a life to come and a place of more beauty than we can ever imagine. And people say that they had a new body, a spiritual body, but with new abilities. Now, last week I talked about the fact that I believe the Apostle Paul actually writes about this in the New Testament. I want to come back to that again here. You know, Paul was actually a Pharisee, a group of religious leaders who had crucified Jesus, essentially. And Paul did not believe in Jesus. But then one day on a road to Damascus, he had this experience of a blinding, brilliant God of light. And he came to realize that the light was Jesus. Well, Paul goes on to write much of the New Testament. But later in his life, Paul actually had a near-death experience. It's recorded in Acts chapter 14. He's in the town of Lystra, a Greek city. A mob turns on him, stones him to death. And this is what it says. It says this, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of town thinking he was dead. But as the believers gathered around him, he got up and went back into town, which I think is just crazy. I mean, picture that. <laughs> he gets up and runs right back into the town. I wonder, like, what did he say? I, mean, I double dog dare you. Stone me to death again. But seriously, I think this is when he had his near-death experience that he later writes about in 2 Corinthians 12. He says, I was caught up to the third heaven 14 years ago. Whether I was in my body or out of my body, I don't know. Only God knows. But I do know that I was caught up to paradise and I heard things so astounding that they cannot be expressed in words. Things no human is allowed to tell. Now, several fascinating correlations here. First, Paul felt like he was himself. He had a body. He didn't know if he was in his body or out of his body because we're still ourselves. And then he see things, sees things that he says words can't express. They're beyond our dimensional reality. He hears things that he says no one is allowed to tell. Now that's fascinating because many people who have had these near-death experiences, they say that on the other side, they were given knowledge. Like all their questions were answered. They felt like they fully understood all the questions of earth. And yet when they came back, they would say, I, I knew I understood it there but it was like, I wasn't allowed to tell it here. Folks, that's exactly what Paul says here. Paul also writes over in 1 Corinthians 13, for now we see only a reflection, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. I mean, imagine that day. Imagine the day when you're fully yourself. It's what many of these NDEers report when they come back. You've never been so fully yourself as that day when you come alive fully, fully known, fully accepted, fully at home in your new body. No longer any disabilities, no more aches, no more pains, and new powers, new abilities that enable you to go and experience and explore all of God's beauty, all the wonders of God's creation. You know, I believe that's what Paul explains in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33. He says, our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they will be raised in glory. 
They are buried in weakness, but they will be raised in strength. Some versions say raised in power, the Greek word dunamis. We get our word dynamite from this term. He says they are buried as natural human bodies, but they will be raised as spiritual bodies. Paul tells us exactly what NDEers are saying around the globe. They were fully themselves. They had a spiritual body, arms, legs, feet. They say things like we can understand and remember each other, recognize each other, hug, kiss. But we weren't limited in our abilities, not just five senses. It's more like 50 senses. In some cases, they describe it as blended senses because our bodies are raised, as the Bible says, in power. And in fact, you even see examples of this in the Bible. For instance, John in the book of Revelation, this is what he says, John chapter 20. He says, an angel took me in the spirit to a great high mountain and he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem. The wall of the city had 12 foundation stones and on them were written the names of the 12 apostles of the lamb. Okay, how could John be up on a great high mountain and yet read the names written on the foundation stones probably miles away? He couldn't unless, just like Paul said, our bodies are raised with new powers of sight and smell. Now listen to how Andy Ears talk about this. I was in this experience for what felt to me like many, many, many hours. But in fact, the entire thing was probably 30 minutes. My eyes were obviously completely enhanced, completely strengthened. It seemed like all my senses took on the other attributes of the senses. So even though I could hear it, it seemed like I could also see it with my hearing. People talk about how their experience on the other side is more lucid, more aware, more conscious, not just five senses. Some describe it as having 50 senses. It's fully alive like we've never imagined. It's as though somebody put a film over what we see here, and then a film was removed, and all of a sudden the brilliance is exposed. In my survey, 74.4% reported heightened senses. They were actually able to see much more clearly than in earthly life. Even people with severely impaired vision or blindness were able to see with perfect vision in their near-death experience. You could see something infinitely far away as if it was right in front of me. I could see the trees and the flowers, and I could see every detail. I could see every individual blade of grass. In heaven, we can hear it all take in it all, just like we can all the sights of heaven, the aromas of heaven, which are sweet and overwhelming. It's a buffet for the senses. It's a sensory explosion. Just imagine the fun of exploring all of God's creation, all this beauty with all these new senses, and imagine having all the time in the world to enjoy it. Did you notice that Dr. Mary Neal said it felt like hours and hours and hours to her, but she was clinically dead for only 30 minutes? And that, interestingly enough, is what Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, says in 2 Peter 3.8. He says, a day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. That's exactly what NDEers say. They say things like, time worked differently there. Some would say it felt like there was no time. Others would say, well, there was time, but it wasn't the same because you were never in a hurry. You always had plenty of time. And another bizarre thing, they sometimes say there was no distance or distance wasn't the same because travel could be instantaneous with a thought. Just imagine if you could just think and be somewhere. What is distance then? But they said 
You could also travel slowly by floating along or flying along, which I know sounds crazy, bizarre, right? But not if we are experiencing other dimensions. And when you hear thousands of people across the globe saying the exact same thing, you got to ask yourself, what's the evidence pointing to? How else do you explain it? And especially when the Bible has taught it all along. You know, interestingly, after Jesus was crucified some 2,000 years ago, 500 eyewitnesses claimed he was risen from the dead and appeared personally to them. But one of the disciples, Thomas, he didn't see Jesus, and so he didn't believe it. Even when all of his trusted friends were telling him the same thing, Thomas said, no, I'm not going to believe it until I stick my hand in Jesus' wounds. Well, look what happened. This is John chapter 20. That evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. See, Jesus was solid. He was physical. They could touch him, hug him. He could eat fish with them. And yet he could instantaneously just appear in a room behind locked doors. He could come and go. And they also reported that he could float or fly away out of their vision. In Acts 1.9, it says after Jesus appeared to people in one of these post-resurrection experiences, Jesus was taken up into a cloud while they were watching and they could no longer see him. He floats up and away. Again, I know it sounds crazy, but the Bible has told us this. And these people who are having these near-death experiences around the globe are verifying it. And I believe God's told us this because he wants us to have hope. Hope for a life to come that makes all of our FOMO, our fear of missing out, fade away. I mean, think about that. Doesn't that happen to you? I mean, it happens to me. You know, where you start to feel like, oh man, I don't have enough time in this life. I'm going to miss out. Or you're afraid you haven't done all that you want to do in this life. Or, or you get tempted to go away from God because you believe that somehow you're going to miss out on something good if you follow God. It's a lie. It's a lie. You see, there is nothing in this flat black and white world that you're going to miss out on when you experience the life God created you to live. So follow him, trust him, let go of that FOMO, that fear of missing out. For example, if you love nature, the majestic beauty of the Rocky Mountains or the crystal clear beaches in the Caribbeans will pale in comparison to what you will experience in heaven. If you love looking into the mysteries of the universe, you know, space will be just one of many playgrounds that when travel is instantaneous, we can explore for all eternity. It seems crazy to think about until you listen to some near-death experiences. You know, one of the individuals John Burke interviewed was a commercial airline pilot, Captain Dale Black. His plane crashed, everyone died, but he came back to talk about flying into the holy city. Fascinating. And then there's Heidi. She grew up in a Jewish atheist home where she was taught that Jesus was an absolute hoax. There is no God. But she always believed in God and prayed to God. And at 16, when her horse falls on her, she discovers that Jesus and God are one. And listen to how he takes her hand and how they travel. He took my hand and we flew. It was like we had this wave of light under our feet it was pushing us forward. And he was grinning from ear to ear. This incredible 
uh, airborne view, a descending, slowing down airborne view of the city of gold. And it's city, it's a city that's walled. O over the city were majestic mountains that were as gorgeous as any that could be ever seen. However, they did not look that different than Earth. I noticed snow, so think about that. Snow, what does that mean? Atmosphere, temperature, snow, what's that all about? I noticed flying birds later. What does that mean? Uh, these are the kind of questions I ask. Yeah. Okay, if a bird is to fly, it can't be a vacuum. I'm floating is what I would call it. Uh, I could see the townships, as I call them, homes that people lived in, homes that were likely to be created for the people of heaven. Interestingly enough, they struck me by not so much the size as the architecture. I know nothing about architecture mm. at all. I still don't. But uh, I recognized that there was something divine about the architecture of the buildings. There were small, what we would call like uh, condos here. There were single family residences that we would call here. There were huge palaces. And I could see that, but... And this like, is all inside the wall? On the other around. side of the wall, I saw none of this. And how big is this city? I mean, can you tell? I could not tell other than it was beyond the horizon both directions. There's countryside inside, so that it's a, it's gorgeous, beautiful, all of the adjectives times a thousand. God gave us all these promises of this life to come so that we wouldn't fear missing out in this life, so that we would love and follow and trust God. Because this life is just a test. It's just a test preparing us for the real life to come. You know, one of the most compelling threads of evidence to me is what blind people say when they have their near-death experiences. John Burke reports three of them in his book, Imagine Heaven. One of them was an eight-year-old kid, Brad. And listen to what these blind people say, not only about the beauty of heaven, but also about the light of heaven. Brad said, I was walking up this immense field. It seemed I was so exhilarated, so unbelievably renewed. I wanted to stay forever. The weather was absolutely perfect, which a blind person would notice most. There was tremendous light up there. It seemed to come from every direction. It was all around. It seemed like everything, even the grass I had been stepping on, seemed to soak in that light. And then Vicki, okay, another blind person, describes the light. And she says this, the light was something you could feel as well as see. And everybody there was made of light. Now, interestingly, Jesus says that. He says the righteous will shine like the sun in their father's kingdom. Well, Vicki goes on to say, what the light conveyed was love. It was light and love together. It was like love came out of the grass. Love and light came out of the birds. Love came from the trees. It was incredible, really beautiful. Now think about this. How did these blind people come to describe the light of heaven as shining out of everything with love? When they would have heard on earth that light shines on things. And yet they're describing exactly what the Jewish prophet Isaiah wrote in 780 BC when God said to him, you will know at last that I, the Lord, am your Savior. Now this is Old Testament Jewish literature. 
No longer will you need the sun to shine by day, nor the moon to give its light by night. For the Lord your God will be your everlasting light and your God will be your glory. John says the same thing in Revelation. The city has no need of sun or moon for the glory of God illuminates the city and the lamb, Jesus, is its light. The nations will walk in its light. How do these blind people and others all around the world come to describe the same thing? That the light of heaven is the glory of God that lights up everything. Now, you heard many people talk about the colors of heaven. Well, think about this. The colors of earth are a breakdown of the light spectrum of the sun. But imagine the spectrum of color if the light is the light of God. See, that's why they see colors far beyond anything we can imagine. Okay, so what do we do with all this knowledge? You know, Jesus taught us to pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed or holy be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, we learn about heaven so that we, while we're here on earth, might bring more of heaven to earth. So let me give you some practical ways to actually do that as we close here. First of all, trust God's goodness. I mean, think about it. All of earth's beauty reveals God's glory as well. But earth is just a shadow of the glory of God. So when you see the beauty of earth, all the good gifts of earth, realize they're all just a tiny part of the goodness of God. And so when you get tempted to turn away from trusting God because somehow you're going to miss out on something good, that's a lie. Turn back to God and just ask him, God, how can I trust you more? How can I follow you more? And then second, give grace more because life on earth is hard. You know, Paul talked about this in Romans 8. He said, yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. For all creation, the whole earth is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. All creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Earth is birthing eternal children, but it's painful. And many of you right now, you're going through all kinds of different suffering. Many of you may have lost your jobs. Or you're trying to hold on maybe to your companies. Maybe you're going through the stresses and strains of uncertainty right now. Maybe there are tensions in your relationships with your spouse, your children, the people that you're shut up with at home. And now is a great time to ask God, God, give me your grace. Give me your patience that I might give it to others. And then finally, create beauty. You know, one thing that's really touched me throughout this whole coronavirus situation has been the honoring of our frontliners those who are risking their health, working tirelessly to help those in need during this crisis. I heard for a while, every night at 7 p.m. in Austin and in many cities around the country, people were gathering on their front porches just to give a shout out to celebrate and applaud our medical professionals, our doctors, nurses, others who are working to save lives during this crisis. I mean, that's an act of beauty that somebody thought up simply to bless others. Or how about the Thunderbirds flying over Georgetown and Austin this past Wednesday to honor our frontliners? Another act of beauty to bless others. And you can do a similar thing. Right, you've been given gifts by God. So just ask God, God, in this season, how can I bring beauty that blesses others? You can do that. I can do that. Okay, 
Next week, we're going to talk about how God is a God of light and love. Those are two characteristics the Bible says over and over again. And those who have had near-death experiences report the exact same thing without fail. It is a fascinating comparison, and you won't want to miss it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you so much for what I believe is a gift that you are giving to us through the scientific, through the medical community, these near-death experiences where people are coming back and reporting that this life is not the end, that there is an afterlife. And in fact, it's something you have been telling us for thousands and thousands of years in your word. And so God, I pray for those who are skeptical, those who are still wondering, searching, that they would stay with this series, that they would keep an open mind and that you would speak to them through your Holy Spirit. And I pray that they would know that you want them to be a part of your family. And there's nothing they have to do to become one of your children, except put their faith in Jesus. That they would recognize that your son came to this earth, the perfect son of God lived the life they couldn't live and died on a cross to pay for their sins. And the very moment we stop trusting in anything else, stop trusting in ourselves or any other religious figure or anybody else in this world, but put our trust only in Jesus to save us. In that moment, you promise forgiveness and eternal life. God, for those of us who have already put our faith in you and your son, Jesus, I pray that these near-death experiences and how they line up perfectly with your word would encourage us to live not for this life, but as Jesus said, to store up treasures in heaven, to anticipate the glories and the beauty and the amazing future we have in your kingdom and to live our lives today in light of that truth. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.